everyone. It's your host here, Marcel. Last week, we hosted Taniqua Hines and talked about healthcare needs among queer women as part of our series on intentionality around specific marginalized groups of people. If that sounds interesting to you, you should check out the work of Fenway Health as well as Taniqua's interview in Chapter 4. This week, we're continuing our population series by pivoting the conversation to talking about race activism among LGBTQ people of color with a focus on South Asian communities. In the building, we have Anish Taylor, who is a board member for an awesome organizing force in the district known as Kush DC, and he's here to help us move through that discussion. Now, before we get started, during the interview, there is a lot of mention of local and national organizations. To start, INCAPIA, or the National Queer Asian Pacific Islander Alliance, is a network of Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian, and Pacific Islander LGBTQ organizations, of which Kush DC and Aqua DC, or the Asian Pacific Islander Queers United for Action, are member organizations. The DC Center is a local LGBTQ services organization, and No Justice, No Pride is a collective of organizers and activists from across the District of Columbia who exist to end the LGBT movement's complicity with systems of oppression that further marginalize queer and trans individuals. Last year, No Justice, No Pride carried out a demonstration during DC's Pride Parade, which Anish and I will talk about in a little bit more detail during the episode. Now, with all of that context out of the way, sit back, enjoy, and I'll see you at the end of the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Defining Equity, a show meant to center and celebrate those living at the margins. Today, we're going to be having a conversation about race activism and discuss how mobilizing around issues of racial equity necessitates the inclusion of both a queer and feminist lens. So today, we're joined by Anish Taylor, who serves as a board member of Kush DC, which is a social support and political group that provides a safe and supportive environment, promotes awareness and acceptance, and fosters positive cultural and sexual identity for LGBTQ plus South Asians in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Kush DC represents a broad array of nationalities, including those of Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Maldives, Nepal, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, and has worked a lot across racial lines to bring about liberation for LGBTQ people of color. So without further ado, Anish, everyone, how are you doing? Hey, pretty good. Great. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Yes. Yeah. So why don't you just like start off by like telling us a little bit about yourself? So, you know, we obviously know your name, but maybe just tell us a little bit more about like, say like your job title, where you currently live, age, if you'd like, or any fun facts. Uh, sure. My name is Anish Taylor. I am 33 years old. I'm originally from Dallas, but have been living in D.C. for the past seven years. Mm-hmm. I currently live in Eckington, which is just up north capital and like Rhode Island. I've been a part of Kush D.C. for about a year and a half. I, I got involved just because I was newly out and I was when I was closeted, one of the most important concerns on my mind was how to be gay and Indian at the same time. Coming mm-hmm. from a cultural background, that was important to me. Mm-hmm. So when I heard about them, I knew that I might be able to learn what it's like to be gay and Indian. So mm-hmm. I, I went to a happy hour and met some cool people, mm-hmm. some of whom have become my closest friends. And a year later, I decided to join the board because by that point, I was feeling better about myself. And right ready to sort of give back to the community that allowed me Mm -hmm. to process my closeted baggage and help me feel better about myself. Got you. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. 
So before we, you know, get into the nitty gritty of Kush DC and everything, you know, I like to talk to people a bit just about like, you know, the personal backstories and all of that. So would you mind just like giving us a bit more detail about you, a person? So I know you said you grew up in Dallas. So that experience, like what were you like as a kid? What was your family situation, hobbies you had growing up, things like that? Mm-hmm. I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, and it was a very sort of, I would describe it like plain vanilla, generic Americana sort of thing. <laughs> Got you. Uh, with the, you know, strip malls and wide roads and then subdivisions. Not much really going on in terms of any sort of exciting, like worldly, cosmopolitan mm-hmm. stuff in, in my area of town, at least. Gotcha. So it was a very kind of, yeah, just plain generic sort of uh, Americana style. Mm-hmm. Norman Rockwell, lawns, front lawns, mm-hmm. dads mowing the lawns, kids playing the sprinklers kind of thing. Gotcha. There weren't many, like, people of color or let alone, like, South Asian folks in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I do know that my parents were active in the community, so there would be functions, like, maybe half a dozen times a year where I would see other folks of South Asian descent. Mm -hmm. So I was inculcated with the culture mainly through that. But otherwise, day to day, it was, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing too flashy or nothing too extraordinary about it. Mm -hmm. I was kind of a quiet kid, especially once I realized I was gay. I had this secret that I had to keep. So I just kind of like tried to blend into the walls as much as I could. Mm -hmm. Most people would say that I was a shy and quiet kid. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel like I'm a shy and quiet person. I just had to play right. that at that time. <laughs> That's real. Do you have any siblings or anything? I have a younger sister, yeah. Oh, cool. What's she like? Oh, she's she's like vivacious and bubbly. And she kind of like mm-hmm. um, is pretty driven and ambitious. And she's been a really like supportive of me during this whole time. Mm-hmm. So we're really tight now. She lives in Dallas. She has a similar sort of like journey that she's been on. So she could mm-hmm. understand what I was going through and relate. So that, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, yeah, she's also quite active. Got lots of things going on over the weekends. Likes to cook, have people over. Mm-hmm. Bet. Awesome. So, you know, I love to ask like kind of like a random question at the beginning before we really dive in. So I have three icebreaker questions of which you can answer one or mm-hmm. all of them, whatever it makes you feel the most like you. So question one, what was a dream you used to have all the time? Question two, who was your childhood best friend? And question three, how would a high school teacher describe you? So any of those questions, like feel free to just answer. Mm, I can answer my high school best friend. Mm-hmm. He's a kid named Omar. We're still in touch to this day. We've been friends since we were eight years old in second grade. Mm-hmm. He was like the only other Indian kid. So we kind of just bonded mm-hmm. from an early age but we were friends throughout elementary school middle school high school and then we went to college together oh and we were roommates freshman and sophomore year oh my god <laughs> are y'all still close not as much mm-hmm. just due to life circumstances that have happened since me moving here mm-hmm. me getting married and having two kids and stuff like that so we've had different experiences mm-hmm. more recently got you is he still in dallas mm-hmm. okay well hopefully he listens to this episode um <laughs> But yes, so cool. So before, you know, we really dive into the nitty gritty of some of the work that you've done around issues of racial equity, would you mind just like kind of painting us a bit of a backdrop of some common realities and circumstances of the South Asian LGBTQ community in this country that sort of informs the work? 
that you do? I can describe what informs the work that I personally do or the reason that motivates me. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with cultural norms that force people to feel like they cannot come out mm -hmm. and, you know, live authentically. Because that was just my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. I received a lot of messages from cultural norms or whatever that being gay is outside of the ordinary and not normal. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had to hide it. So what, what informs the work that I personally do is trying to change that messaging mm -hmm. to say that being gay is just as normal and is okay. So people don't feel like they have to hide themselves. Mm -hmm. Because I know like having been had the mindset very recently, a closeted person cannot reach their full potential. Mm -hmm. So my goal personally is to make people feel like they don't have to stay in the closet, that they can come out, that they can mm -hmm. reach their full potential. So th that's kind of like what informs my personal work is to change the messaging of the cultural norms. Mm -hmm. Along the way, I have met people who face experiences like harassment, police brutality. Mm -hmm. That has not been my personal experience. So what I just try to do is If I meet somebody who has had that experience, try to understand it, mm -hmm. understand what it felt like, just because I never personally had it. Mm -hmm. So if I want to represent the South Asian community, I do feel a responsibility to at least try to understand what it felt like to be on the receiving end mm -hmm. of police brutality or harassment. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay, so in that case, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Kush DC. How did it get started? What do you all advocate for? What are some triumphs, challenges, things like that? It got started in 1994. Mm -hmm. So it's been around for a long time. It was started by two individuals, Yasser and Atul. Mm -hmm. They had gone to New York for Pride, and it was the anniversary of Stonewall, or they were at the Stonewall Inn, and... They realized that there's no South Asian group in D.C. So when they came back from New York, they just realized, oh, we should just start one. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. You know, it started off very informally, meeting in uh, yeah, meeting in coffee shops, uh, meeting in people's living rooms. There was no internet at the time, so they would post flyers in coffee shops at the gay bars on 17th Street, mm -hmm. and gay bookshops, and people picked up the little flyers and showed up to meetups. Mm -hmm. It evolved over the course of the years. One of the challenges, I'd say, has been there's there's kind of a wall between like gay men and lesbian women. Mm -hmm. That's something that I'm still trying to understand myself, but that is a challenge where within even the South Asian LGBT community, there's all these different ways to slice and dice individuals' identities. Mm -hmm. So it's a challenge to bridge it all, you know, because you have like gay lesbian, you have Hindu Muslim, mm -hmm. Indian Pakistani. American born, South Asian born. Yeah, so there's just all different ways. And then like trans people and bi people have their own mm. experience with all of this. They're further marginalized because of different separate reasons. So one of the challenges has just been really like for the gay guys to check their male privilege. That's something that I've noticed. A lot of the gay guys don't necessarily acknowledge it. But then again, they don't know. And like I can sympathize with that because I myself didn't know. You know, for a long time, it took me asking questions to lesbian women about what their experiences were and to trans people about what their experiences have been for me to understand stuff like, like, for example, a trans girl told me about her experiences, like riding the bus and just mm -hmm. how she got stares. If she would try to come to like a South Asian LGBTU space, people would look at her weird, like, 
what's going on over there. Like in this space? Yeah. Within the community. Interesting. And so I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe that. And that's when it dawned on me that, oh, I don't have to deal with all that kind of things. Mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with people giving me weird looks and stuff like that. So I have male privilege in that regard. Mm -hmm. So so what am I going to do with that? You know, that's kind of like a challenge to impart that knowledge on a whole swath of the South Asian LGBT community, namely Mm -hmm. gay men. And how am I going to incorporate that when I do this organizing work. Got you. Interesting. I know that Christy C serves largely as like safe space for folks, but I'm just curious, what are some of the things that y'all advocate for just as an organization? It kind of changes, you know, depending on the people who are volunteering to mm-hmm. run on the board, what their interests lies in. Currently, we advocate for transgender justice, immigration justice, and family acceptance. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like three issue areas where we focus our energies on if we're going to engage politically speaking. Mm -hmm. Got you. And I guess just like in what form does your activism take? Like, is it like you hold like community forums or you do like education sessions? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just curious, like what it usually looks like. Yep. Community forums where we invite the entire communities to come share stories and Mm -hmm. listen to one another's experiences. We sit on a lot of panels Mm -hmm. to try and like educate allies and other people. We host panels ourselves. We partner with the DC Center and other like queer student groups in town to get our individual stories out there, you know, Mm -hmm. to share, share that. Around the family acceptance issue last year, we just invite parents to come in and give a little bit of a talk on what their acceptance journey was like. Uh, we did, did y'all do this with Aqua? Sorry to interrupt. No, we did that with Encapia. Okay. But I think okay. Aqua was also involved. Okay. Because it sounds very familiar. Yeah, but it was anyway. last year. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, panels, mm-hmm. workshops, speeches. I also consider stuff like just regular meetups mm-hmm. to be part of the activism umbrella. Mm-hmm. Because I know that creating a space is part of the movement. And that's just something I learned actually recently. <laughs> <laughs> I learned it through Shabab, actually. That is real. Um, yes. And so, and, and now I understand, you know, because mm-hmm. like, when I first joined Kush, I didn't really consider myself an activist. I was like, how am I an activist? I don't have a picket sign and I'm not marching the streets. Mm-hmm. I had a very narrow definition of what activist means. And so now I kind of have a broader definition. And so under that broad definition stuff like the potluck dinners the coffee meetups happy hours mm-hmm. peer support group just places where people can be together mm-hmm. is also part of what we do got you cool that's awesome <laughs> so i know that in addition to all those things you just mentioned you all do a lot of community collaborations like particularly with other organizations that center queer and trans people of color so could you just tell us a little bit about what solidarity means like for you personally and also for you all as an organization Okay, solidarity for me, and when I just think about like Latinx community and the black community, like for me personally, solidarity actually means trying to understand their experience, being curious about what their experience is and has been, Mm -hmm. and listening. Because I do feel like, in general, just in this country, Mm -hmm. marginalized people are not listened to. Mm -hmm. And just this past weekend, you know, friends of mine have been posting about the No Justice, No Pride activists who stopped the parade on Saturday. Quick, sorry, quick context. This past weekend was Pride for those listening at the current moment. Continue. Sorry. I'm seeing commentary on my feed and 
there's just a lot of like comments about, oh, what are they doing? Don't they know that this is a festival and they're just ruining my Saturday afternoon kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So that's an example of not listening. So for me, solidarity means listening. Mm-hmm. I tried to implement that as a Kush person too. So I mean, I think that's important. Yeah. That's real. Did you respond to the folks on Facebook who were like, oh, like, no, this is like, what are I, they doing? Ruining my pride. Yeah, like, it was my friend's feed. Okay. And so I didn't know them that well. I just didn't feel like jumping into that fray. Got you. Are you involved with No Justice, No Pride? I am not. No. Okay. I'm like vaguely part of the Facebook group, uh-huh. largely because someone else invited me to it. And it's funny because one of my friends actually like kind of called me out on it. And he was like, what do you say? He was just like, oh, I just think it's interesting that you're part of this group. I just feel like it's very, like, anti-pride and, like, da-da-da. And I was just kind of like, well, I mean, I don't think the this group is necessarily, like, anti-pride. It's just more so, like, this commercial capitalist, like, white turn is taken. It's, like, kind of what people are not about. And I think people are just sort of critical of, like, its funding streams and mm-hmm. sort of, like, just how it's marketed. Like, it's very much lost. Yeah. Now, it hasn't lost its origins, but people don't think of Pride as, like, what it was originally. It's very much just kind of like, oh, like, let's all just, like, get drunk and, like, go to Pride. You know, it's, just, it's right. very much kind of, yeah. So, I think people are irritated with, like, how palatable, like, quote, mainstream Pride is, mm-hmm. is like, trying to become. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just interesting you bring that group up. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I recently got into it. <laughs> it wasn't, like, an argument, but it was definitely, like, a, um, a slightly charged conversation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, so I guess like on that same vein of solidarity, like can you tell us a little bit about some challenges that you've experienced promoting solidarity across organizations and groups of people? Challenges with promoting solidarity? Yeah. I know you mentioned that like for Latinx folks and black folks, uh-huh. you try to like listen, provide space, stuff like that. So just like, have you as an organization ever experienced any pushback for that? Like people maybe like not being receptive or just things that like otherwise would make that effort right. more difficult? Yes. And it was an experience with trying to be in solidarity with transgender non-conforming folks mm-hmm. in general. And it was um, a disclaimer on a party evite that went out. The reaction to the disclaimer revealed a lot of these rifts that I had mentioned before and these fissures that I mentioned before. Yeah, there was a lot of pushback against that attempt to try and make trans folks feel included. What was like the language of the disclaimer? Do you remember? It was basically like asking white people not to wear South Asian clothing. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first read it, I kind of like had a reaction like, huh, okay, that's a little off-putting. But then I tried to stick with it and tried mm-hmm. to understand and asked a few people what was the rationale and stuff like that. Then I kind of understood it later. But a lot of people let their emotions run away with it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just putting a check on their emotional reaction and try to seek to understand. Mm-hmm. That's one of the lessons where I was like, listening is important. You know, if the person pauses their runaway emotional train and gives the other a chance to speak and then listen, you know, a lot of this could have been ironed out. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, and that's that's always so tricky because like you say, you know, like I definitely understand that logic of kind of giving folks like room to speak, reaching across the aisle, like whatever whatever the kids say about listening to people who have opposite views of you. Still trying to figure out how to deal with that in situations where people are just, just straight up like just extremely problematic, like how to like sit through that or if it's even appropriate for me to just like, kind of sit through that and like yeah. listen to messages like that. So I think, yeah, it's it's always tricky because like on one end, you know, you encourage people to do that. But sometimes you're just like, I mean, would I even do it if someone just says something really out of pocket? Like, mm-hmm. so <laughs> that that is real. So and I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but like 
just through your position through the board and just like, I guess, more generally, honestly, like, how have you used your platform, like, as an activist to call out, like, anti-blackness, misogyny, and other oppressive forces, both, like, within and outside of queer and trans people of color spaces? To address misogyny and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, we did have a, like, community forum last year as an attempt in response to this issue that I just mentioned Mm -hmm. to allow people to come together to share their stories as an opportunity to let people understand the experience of like a marginalized person who is trans just as an attempt to let other people understand that a little better so that we can address some of the misogynistic problematic Mm -hmm. comments that occur we did do a like direct action training earlier this year actually Mm-hmm. It was co-sponsored with NCAPIA. NCAPIA did a series of these direct action trainings. This was an attempt to provide the tools of how to actually do a direct action, like how to do a sit-in, how to do a protest. All the mm-hmm. It was kind of like a training seminar. Training seminar on all the stuff to consider mm-hmm. when doing something like a sit-in or a protest. And this was in response to all the Trump stuff that has been coming out this year. Oh, God. And so it's kind of like in response to racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, mm-hmm. all that, all of the above. Last year on the, it was the 15 year anniversary of 9-11, Kush DC in co-sponsorship with a couple of other organizations also did a direct action on 9-11 mm-hmm. in which participants simulated a TSA screening checkpoint mm-hmm. in gentrifying neighborhoods during Sunday brunch. Uh, it's an attempt to make white people feel like what it's like to be screened at the airport. Wait, so like, where was this? This took place in Columbia Heights, Adams Morgan, U Street, and DuPont Circle. What did you? Where did y'all station yourselves? Uh, just like on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. There was this kind of a like PVC pipe screening metal detector sort of thing, mm-hmm. and we just had people play TSA agents and you know stop people and ask them if they want to like participate in it. It was like street theater. Wow. Huh. In a way to try and make people feel like what it's like for brown people to go through the airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I'm curious, like, what were some of the responses y'all got? Most people were pretty cool with it, and mm-hmm. they understood. It was kind of like preaching to the choir in D.C., because mm-hmm. a lot of the people who participated understood and were kind of, like, into it. The people who didn't participate were probably the people who needed to experience what that felt like the most. That's yeah. probably why they just went walked right by and brushed them aside. Um, mm, interesting. Also very strategic to do it during brunch because like for those of you who don't live in DC, like brunch here is just it's really like the Olympics. Like people <laughs> take it so seriously. Um so yeah, that's the perfect way to get traffic. And like that's really awesome, honestly. Yeah. yeah cool. That was co sponsored with NCAPIA also. Gotcha. And what is NCAPIA? It is a national queer Asian American Pacific Islander Alliance. So it's like okay. a national umbrella organization gotcha. of all API queer groups in the country. So mm-hmm. Kush DC falls under the umbrella. Oh, okay. Got you, got you. That makes sense. Cool. So dialing back a little bit, I know you mentioned that like your own experience with coming out and trying to have a more intersectional understanding of your queerness sort of got you into this work. I'm curious, like, where do you see the future of your activism? Like past Kush DC and or even like just through it, just going forward. The future of my own personal one? Mm-hmm. I'm working on this podcast that I told you about earlier, mm-hmm. and that is what I see as the future of my own personal activism, uh, because my whole goal is to try and make people feel like they don't have to hide themselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this medium is a good way to reach a closeted person. Mm-hmm. 
because they might be Googling stuff, searching for stuff online. And if this comes up, it's something that they can just pop into their earbud and listen to. Mm-hmm. And it's discreet. Nobody has to be any the wiser. If I did a video documentary or a YouTube channel or something like that, mm-hmm. it's like people have to watch a video. And so if they're closeted and then they're trying to watch it in secret and if their mom walks into the room or their wife walks into the room, something like that, they have to go into all kinds of evasive maneuvers to excuse mm-hmm. what they were watching. So uh, this medium is more discreet. And mm-hmm. there is something unique about audio that has a way to reach people. It's very intimate because it's in your ear. Mm-hmm. So um, it just, it's just unique in that regard. So that's going to be the future of my personal activism. Cool. Would you mind telling the folks a little bit about your show? I know we talked a little bit earlier where you told me all about it, but just for folks who may be unfamiliar. Yeah, it's going to be a compendium of South Asian LGBT experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be putting my own coming out story out there as well as my own journey since. And I want to get other South Asian people's stories out there also so that somebody who's struggling has all these people to look to and have a lot of models for them to emulate on their own journeys. Got you. Would this largely focus on coming out as it relates to sexual orientation or would it be a focus on gender identity or like yeah. other forms of coming out, like whatever that Yeah, like uh, coming out in terms of LGBTQ stuff, so mm-hmm. sexual orientation and gender expression. Mm-hmm. But I kind of also have an idea to expand it and do other forms of coming out because I know like there have been Muslim people who have to come out as atheists to their families. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a similar experience. And so... That would be something interesting for me to highlight mm. the other forms of, quote, coming out. That's so interesting. Huh. I remember I watched the TED talk about this idea of coming out, but like more broadly than yeah. like LGBTQ issues. Yeah, 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 yeah I think yeah. that would certainly be mm-hmm. interesting because, I mean, it happens all the time. Because so. the feelings are the same. It's just mm-hmm. the context under which the feelings arise are different. Got you. And if we can understand that we're having the same feelings, that's what forges connection. Mm-hmm. And we have a lack of connection in modern day society and culture. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to address that lack of connection. Would the target audience solely be folks who are either LGBTQ or folks who might be closeted or just like literally for anybody? I'm gearing it towards closeted people, Mm -hmm. but I know the feelings that closeted people have are universal. So I know that if I were to describe the feelings of being closeted, anybody could relate to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of like, Doing it from the perspective of a closeted person, Mm -hmm. mainly for the reason is because when I was closeted, I was searching on Google Mm -hmm. and nothing was coming up. So I kind of want to address that gap also, but I'm pretty sure that it would be relatable to anyone. Got you. Cool. Well, best of luck with that. Um, Thank you. If you ever need me for whatever reason, (laughs) like I'm more than happy to help. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's awesome. So in the sense of wrapping up this discussion... I think something that needs to be highlighted for sure is that I thought it was noteworthy that you mentioned that when you, you know, were kind of like coming to understand your queerness and all of that, that you were trying to understand what it meant to be both queer and Indian at the same time and like kind of what that intersexual understanding is. So I'm just curious, like for folks who might be queer, but like whites or like trans, but white, what are some things that folks can do to sort of make more space for queer and trans people of color, like within the community? Some things you would recommend listening mm-hmm. again comes back to that because uh, i i noticed like when i w- would talk to white friends earlier on i would be like you know one of the biggest things that was concerning to me was 
I was afraid of disappointing my parents mm-hmm. because it's a very cultural norm for the son, especially the oldest son, to like want to take care of their parents and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I just had all this expectation on me to fulfill the duty and play the role of you know mm-hmm. eldest son marrying a cultured Indian bride who can cook and hang out with my parents that kind of thing. But when I told some of my friends who were white, they just didn't understand that, you know. So like I personally felt better when they just at least tried to understand and just like stuck with me and just heard me out as I tried mm-hmm. to explain, you know. So I think, you know, one thing white people can do is listen and be genuinely curious and try and mm-hmm. try and understand the feelings and the experiences You're right. of a queer person of color. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I would co-sign that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so funny because there's a lot that, you know, everyone can do to be better, to treat people better. So it's not even, like, specific attack onto, like, white, queer, and trans people. It's just right. more so just, like, literally like any other human, you yeah, know, yeah. like, just learning more about people, being yeah, curious, yeah. listening, just showing empathy in ways that are more transparent, I think, right. is yeah. always helpful to people. And I guess lastly, well, actually, not, not even lastly, how does your activism contribute to health equity? Health equity? Yes. How do you define health equity? Like access to healthcare services for? Yeah. And just like basically a society in which like, regardless of like your social location or anything like that, you have equal access to healthcare, basically like the resources, the means, the institutional support to live like a long and healthy life, both physical, mental, Mm -hmm. spiritual, all of that. Well, I think like the peer support group is a way to address mental health. Mm -hmm. We do that once a month. It's meant to be an outlet for people to come and talk about anything they might not feel like mm-hmm. they can talk about elsewhere. It's run by um, two of us, and we kind of just sit at the DC Center for a couple of hours, and whoever shows up, shows up kind of a thing. It's mm-hmm. kind of like walk-in, drop-in hours. You don't have to sign up or RSVP or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a way to kind of address mental health issues. And even when they come... We try and share resources that are available to them, whether it be physical health or mental health. We just try and like mm-hmm. provide them with resources. Personally, I volunteered at Women Walker, but not under Cush DC or anything like that. That's just me personally. Mm-hmm. I know the HIV epidemic in the 80s was like decimated the gay community specifically. Mm-hmm. And I read a book called And the Band Played Off, which talks about it and goes through the entire epidemic and how it played out. So I, this is just me trying to like give back. I still feel some solidarity with people in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So this is just me trying to keep that going through to the present day. And I do know that there are still communities, specifically people of color, where the epidemic rates are just as high as they were in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So this is just how I try. What are some things that you do outside of your activism? I play Stonewall Kickball, Stonewall mm-hmm. Bocce. I volunteer at Whitman Walker. Mm-hmm. I like doing stuff like town and country, just queer country western line dancing. Oh. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I have a pretty active social life. I'm just out and about trying to put myself out there, you know, mm-hmm. meet people. I enjoy socializing and meeting new people and having conversations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I stay busy in that regard. Got you. 
And like, what are some of the ways that you just outside of your activism, nine to five, all of that, like, how do you self care? Well, Saturday and Sunday mornings, I cook myself breakfast mm-hmm. where I like, I make myself chai, this mm-hmm. Indian spice mix that my grandmother makes. Uh, and I cook eggs and toast and I watch like an episode on Netflix while, while I eat. Yeah, I cook for mm-hmm. self-care because cooking also allows me time to listen to other podcasts, mm-hmm. which helps inform me of my own that gotcha. I'm going to be making. So yeah, cooking mm-hmm. is a big one. Bike riding is another big one. Cool. And along the same vein of Netflix, do you have any guilty pleasures as it relates to TV or otherwise? Maybe Golden Girls, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be, yeah, I'm not even that guilty. Yeah, honestly, that. I mean, yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I like cartoons that are traditionally meant for kids, you know, mm-hmm. like Animaniacs was a good show, Pinky and the Brain. Yes. Do you watch Adventure Time or Steven Universe by any chance? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know a lot of my friends are like so, especially Steven Universe, like people are like super into it. I've never seen it personally, but I'm sure it'd be great. Yeah, I've heard Adventure Time is supposed to be really good. Yeah. It's, I've, <laughs> I've seen it. It's just, it's just one of those, you have to be in a very specific state of mind to mm-hmm. watch it. It is just the, it's literally the weirdest show I've ever seen, <laughs> but like kind of in, in a good way. In a yeah, good I way. like weird. Yeah. That's real. So, I guess, like, as we wrap up, I know you made a lot of mention of your experiences growing up and, like, who that person was. Like, based on who you were as a child, do you think that the person you are now is kind of, like, in line with the person you thought you would be then? Well, when I was a child, I never thought I would actually make it to this age. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think the person I am now, the child in me would be, like, wouldn't believe who I am now. They just would not, it would not compute. Mm-hmm. I never expected to be this comfortable with myself and be this out there with being gay so Mm. it's a quite drastically different yeah and on that same vein like if you had the chance to say something to like a younger version of yourself like whatever age you choose like what that thing be uh it would uh, i would just um I don't I don't think I would change anything about how it went down because since coming out I've had an ex- I've experienced um a lot of positive feelings and just um a lot of deep connections mm-hmm. with people. So I don't necessarily know if I would like encourage my younger self to like come out earlier or whatever because I I like how it played out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though it was relatively late so to speak, but mm-hmm. um I I would tell my younger self uh, something along the lines of letting him feel okay with who he is, you know, just, I wouldn't try and pressure him. I wouldn't try and like to try to explain to him that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I would just be and let him exist and be. Got you. Cool. And do you have any final words? Like anything you want to leave the folks listening? Uh, maybe just check out Kush DC's Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's www dot facebook dot com slash kush dc spelled with an h mm. k h u s h d c yeah look out for stuff coming up cool awesome are there any events on the horizon yes we have a happy hour on thursday the 15th a peer support group this saturday then a coffee after the peer support group mm. then we're trying to aim for like a coffee meetup in silver spring and a happy hour in arlington just to cater to people who don't live like downtown kind of right because there's 
South Asian LGBTQ people are spread out all over the place, so we're trying to go where they are, so make it easy for them. Yeah, as a Maryland girl, I really appreciate <laughs> these efforts, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Like, thank this you. is like yeah. extremely I yeah, appreciate it. And, sure. You know, definitely sharing all these elements of your personal experience. Like that was certainly not required. So I really do appreciate you putting yourself out there and like holding space and You're all welcome. that. I hope you all enjoyed Anisha's insight in this episode, as well as his reminder that activism is just as much about making space for one another and supporting and listening to folks in our community as it is about civic engagement and political involvement. If you have any questions or thoughts on the episode, feel free to get in touch with us at definingequity at gmail.com. Next time, we'll be continuing our population series with a conversation around intersex individuals. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Yeah.